Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello everyone. I trust you've all prepared for your weekly dose of nightmare fuel. I have an episode chock full of stories that kind of runs the gamut as far as these paranormal stories are concerned. So I'm sure that there's at least one or two in there that will send shivers down your spine. So enough yammering from me. Let's let Steve from Colorado kick us off. Hi, it's Call Me Steve. So where I work, it's it's out here in the industrial park. And what's really crazy is I've dealt with a lot my whole life with gifts and stuff like that, but this is wild. So I had to go throw the trash one day. So I work in one building and I go out to the West Building. So I'm coming back in and here comes the maintenance worker. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? And I mean, he's slow poke Rodriguez. He, he takes his time. You know, I mean, he's he's old like whatever so he comes outside so i go back inside and i'm like well i gotta go to the other building i go in the other building i just saw him and he was full of like oil when i went to the next building there was no way he could have got there he came walking to clean i'm just like staring at him and he goes what's the matter i'm like no how are, where, where are you going and he goes well i gotta go to the west building to get some some parts and tools and i just stood there stared i was like oh, oh, oh okay uh, uh, have a good day so he walks by and i see some other guys like how long has the maintenance guy been over oh he has, he's been over there the whole day working i go he hasn't went to the west building they were like no and i asked everybody around there i'm like okay man, maybe it's just me so a couple weeks later i had to go get some uh, parts from the back and i come up and i see one of the guys from the back walking he got to walk down the aisle and he goes to the bathroom, so me and this guy are over here by the cabinet getting some parts and stuff and, you know, going over our specs. And I don't see him come out of the bathroom. There's only one way to come out of the bathroom. This is another guy. And so I come around the corner, and it splits off, and there's, like, cabinets. Well, I come around the corner, and boom, this guy just appeared, appeared right in front of me. And I think what scared me is, you know how things can't occupy the same space? That's what blew me away. I was, he was literally, I could smell his hair. My nose was basically on his shirt and he looked at me and he goes what's your problem why are you up on me i was like no man i'm i'm cool but uh, it's it's one of those things that happens a lot and it's just crazy and if anybody out there ever want witnesses it just kind of roll with it but i deal with it on a daily basis and it's starting to become more and more but well thank you for you know everything allowed me to share that with people and i'm letting them down alone and thank you derek for everything keep it up thanks steve and thank you for responding so quickly. We had a little issue with Steve's original submission. I imagine some folks will look at this case and think, well, Steve is simply 
seeing ghosts, and others may suspect a portal or window of some sort. Still others might find a way to assign aliens to this mystery. But I think I might have found a way to think outside the box. What if it is Steve that is quote-unquote teleporting? Think of the first man. Perhaps Steve leaped through time and space just long enough to allow the man to change from his oily clothes. And the man in the bathroom. Is it possible that Steve again transported forward or back in time mere minutes without realizing it? Just long enough for the man to leave undetected. And finally, the experience that sort of birthed this unorthodox theory. The man, Steve said, that just appeared in his space. Now, it doesn't take much of imagination to picture Steve leaping forward in time. Again, mere minutes. Only to appear in the same room and location, but also practically on top of another person. Thinking about this sort of thing can send your mind and paranoia into a tailspin. But in all this disappearing and reappearing talk, I'm reminded of one of the strangest disappearances I've ever heard of. The departure of Granger Taylor. The plane is part of the interesting history of Granger Taylor, who was born in British Columbia on this date in 1948. He was very intelligent, but was shy and introverted, spending many hours alone. He quit school after eighth grade and went to work for a mechanic. Taylor, as it turned out, was a mechanical genius who could fix almost anything. At 14, Taylor built a car. Next, he refurbished a derelict bulldozer. He also found a locomotive in the woods that was a total wreck. It had been abandoned with the boiler rusted through and trees growing through the wheels and undercarriage. Taylor disassembled it and after three years had it working in near pristine condition. He sold it to the Canadian government for museum display. Taylor then turned to space and space travel. He read every book he could about the cosmos and extraterrestrials. He built a large flying saucer made out of two discarded satellite dishes. The craft was never meant to fly, but he used it as a refuge, spending many hours in it reading and meditating. He told friends that he had been communicating telepathically with aliens and that they had invited him to take a trip on their spaceship. On November 29, 1980, Taylor drove off and was never seen again. He left a note to his parents saying he was leaving for a 42-month tour of the solar system. His parents waited, but their son never returned. In 1986, Taylor's truck was found on a mountain in British Columbia, blown to smithereens. Several bone fragments were found, but it could not be determined if they were Taylor's. The mystery still baffles today. That clip comes courtesy of Prairie Public News. I actually learned about Granger through a documentary on YouTube called Spaceman. The 43-minute CBC documentary covers the 1980 disappearance of a mysterious man. I've linked to it in tonight's show notes, so go have a look. Thanks again, Steve. I hope you find the answers that you're looking for. Now, if you thought that was weird, you ain't heard nothing yet. Our next terrifying tale takes us back east to the Keystone State. The following was sent in by Michelle. 
Derek. This is Michelle from Pittsburgh, PA. We absolutely love your show. Uh, I'm going to ramble a little bit because I have I have a couple things I've been wanting to call in about, but I'll keep it to one main thing. I have had a couple experiences. Uh, I absolutely like love cryptids, although I've never really experienced anything except for one, and that was the one that Neil had called in about about the fuzzy alligator thing. Um, a friend of mine actually saw it first and alerted me to you know, this thing that was at the bottom of my street, and we called the police about it, and nothing ever came of it. A few months later, I saw it myself, and then I had told him about it, and he saw it. Um, and a couple other people from this area have seen this thing. But other than that, the vast amount of my experiences have been with ghosts and spirits, and most of them have been in my younger years. Now, my mom insists that that is because I have, like, closed myself off from this because I don't want to have anything to do with it or I'm afraid. And she's probably right. I'm not afraid of much, but, like, the unknown kind of creeps me out and scares me. So I've I've been in a position where I've been like, oh, please don't show up. <laughs> if you're a ghost, don't show up. So the one thing that I did want to call in about was a shadow person type experience because I've never heard anyone else have this type of experience this specific so this would have happened in this area, Pittsburgh area, specifically Millwell, and it happened, I was about four years old, so it would have been about 81, 82. So I was a little kid, I was only four years old, and I was with my grandparents and my mom. And they were getting ready for a parade, they lived on the main street, and so a lot of people were going by, getting their places and everything. And I became very fascinated with this one person that was walking along the sidewalk past us and then down the street. And so they asked me about it because I was just looking at him and looking at him, and uh, I guess I looked kind of afraid. And um, I had said that his shadow was weird, and I didn't like it. And when they asked me for, like, more information, I had described to them that his shadow was not on the ground. It was walking upright with him. And they were a little bit freaked out about it, but thought, oh, maybe I was seeing the shadow up against a building or something. I'm young, so, you know, who knows? They thought nothing of it. But then the next day, that man had passed away. We live in a small town, so I don't think that they knew him, like, personally, but it was, like, an acquaintance enough to, for them to know that, and they got really freaked out by it. So that's my experience, and I just wanted to see if, like, anyone else had ever experience this type of thing or like wanted to analyze this about like what this might have been some kind of aura thing or I have no idea but I just thought I'd share and this is my first time calling so thank you very much bye thank you Michelle I snuck Michelle's call in because of the mention of the fuzzy alligator from last week's episode is there anyone on that street that hasn't seen this thing I'll tell you what the next time I'm back home, I think I might drive the hour and a half to Pittsburgh. I'll try to catch this critter and solve this mystery myself. I have no doubt I'll return looking like Roy Munson. Yeah, that's right. A 20-year-old Kingpin reference. Now, as far as the meat and potatoes of Michelle's entry is concerned, what she's describing almost sounds like an aura. Now, essentially, an aura is a field of energy either surrounding living things or being admitted by living things. Now, earlier this year, before my stint in solitary began, Sarah and I made a quick trip to Sedona, Arizona. And while we were there, we had our auras read. I was super curious about this, but I was very skeptical. But I have to admit, the woman read Sarah, her mother, and myself, and nailed each one to a T. 
Believe it or not, she even made my mother-in-law cry. So I don't know, but I was pretty impressed. And if you're in or headed to the Sedona area, you should check it out. The place that we went to was called Hardlight. At any rate, thank you again, Michelle, for sharing your eerie premonition. Now our next spooky spiel comes to us from a land away. A land down under. Please welcome Carrie to the program. Hi Derek, this is Kerry from South Australia. I've just been listening to the episode with Darlene from Canada and somebody mimicking her voice. We have had lots of people's voices mimicked in my house. It started two days into renovating so we could move in. My husband was tiling the bathroom in one room and my father and I were in the adjoining room cutting some wood and we both hear my name being called in my husband's voice. My husband at the same time happened to be lifting a tile and I could hear him grunting over the top of the voice. And so I knew it wasn't him. My dad turned to me very angrily and said, why don't you answer him? Why don't you answer him? And I said, well, because he didn't call me. That wasn't my husband. And so I go into the bathroom and I ask, did you call me? And he said, no, what are you talking about? I said, because my dad and I heard you calling my name. And I came back out and my dad was like, well, I mustn't have heard right. And I said, well, I heard it too. Like we both heard it, but he's not the type to accept that anything is out of the ordinary. And about two days later, I was inside the house and my dad was just outside the back door, again, cutting wood. And me and my husband both heard him call my name again in his voice. And so I, th I thought I could see him through the back door and he hadn't turned, his mouth hadn't moved. And I said, okay, I don't think that was him. And my husband looked panicked because we'd just moved out of a house because it was haunted to this new house and it seems to be having problems already. And I walked outside and I asked my dad if he'd called me. He casually said no and went back to work. And my husband got this panicked look on his face and then went back to what he was doing. Then probably about five weeks after that, it was just me and my son alone in the house. I was in the kitchen and he was two rooms away. And I heard him yell my name and I walked over to the room and I looked in and he's sitting there with his eyes like saucers absolutely panicked and I asked him did you hear that too and he said yep I said okay well come out with me for a little bit and don't worry it'll be okay and nothing happened for a very very long time until we got to probably three years later and I'm in the kitchen. My husband's said something to me and I didn't answer him. And he turned around and he started saying something else. I can't remember exactly what it was. And he said to me, you, you told me that that was it. And I said, well, no, I didn't. I didn't, haven't said anything. And he was like, I'm sure you said it. I said, no. And he got this panicked look on his face because he very well knew that I hadn't said anything. And we asked my son and he was like, I didn't hear anything. And he's got, his eyes are like saucers again because he heard something, but 
he knew it wasn't me and my husband got very angry and went outside and I just thought, oh no, it's happening again. But we haven't had anything for probably about six weeks now. I love the show. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Thanks. Well, Carrie, my thoughts are that that sounds nightmarish. Thank you for the entry, by the way. Mimicry, taps or knocking on the walls, moans in the dark and chains rattling are all examples of the biggest paranormal cliches out there today. But like many cliches, they're around because there's typically a shred of truth buried in there somewhere. So what is the truth here in these mimicry cases, cases of which I've received several over the past few years? Well, whatever it is, I think we can all agree that there's something off-putting and, dare I say, sinister about these strange occurrences. And my best tip for you, Carrie, is to purchase one of those cheap Wi-Fi cameras. Amazon has a good one for about $25. I actually use these things, and mine will alert me to a pin drop if I apply the correct settings. Then it's time to sit, wait, and listen. So thanks again, Carrie, for sharing that one. A quick reminder that we need stories to feed the beast. So if you have a true paranormal story you would like to share on the show, dial in that hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And for international listeners like Carrie, simply record your story on your phone and shoot me an email at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Oh man, we have so many good entries left to share. It's difficult to pick the next one but I've mustered the strength and pulled a doozy from Sean from the barrel. This is his entry from my home of California. Hey, Derek, my name is Sean, and I'm living in, currently living in California now, but I grew up on the islands of Hawaii, basically um, the island of Oahu. And on Oahu, there's, I just want to give a little backstory before I actually get into my experience. Um, on the island of Oahu, Back in the 1700s, early 1800s, when King Kamehameha was uniting the islands, he ended up having the Battle of Nu'uanu, where him and the king of Oahu ended up fighting at Nu'uanu Pali. It's a famous, it's not a tourist attraction on the island of Oahu, but if you Google uh, Pali Lookout Oahu, you can get a clear image of what I'm talking about. If you type in the Battle of Nu'uanu, you can get a bit of clarity on what happened there, as in Kamehameha and the king of Oahu fight in, and King Kamehameha end up pushing about, I would say, several thousands, if not about ten thousands, of the king of Oahu's troops off of a cliff that is known as Nu'uanu. And in Hawaii, it's kind of like folklore where they say, like, Nu'uanu Pali's always been hunted, being that so much people lost their lives fall into their debts. There's folk tales about seeing a white dog. If you see a white dog, just turn around and run away. There's tales about, you know, don't bring pork over the Pali Lookout. If you stop to get some pork at a local restaurant, you don't want to be driving uh, through the tunnel that that separates the windward side from the city side of the island. You don't want to be taking pork with you because your vehicle was shut down and you won't be able to get it back sorted until you remove that pork that you had, that, the meat that you had out of your vehicle. So there's a bunch of stories like that. 
about this new Wanupali, um, how, how it's being hunted and, and things like that. Now, there is an old uh, Pali road before they built the Pali Pass, before they, they built that freeway going through from the, from the city side to the windward side of the island. They had the old Pali road where you used to take, and it's basically just a, a, you're driving on the cliff. It's closed down now, but you basically was driving on a cliff to get to the other side of the island. Well, it's been closed for years and years now. So basically, it just became a tourist destination. And I would basically just want to get into my experience. So my experience with the new new Wanupali was around 2007, 2008. I I believe I was in eighth grade, if not ninth grade at the time. I went to a a public charter school on the island. Uh, We had regular high schools and stuff like that too. But I I always went to this Hawaiian emergent charter school. And basically... It was just a type of school that learned off of the land. And we had a sleepover one night with other charter schools and other Native Hawaiian organizations at the Pali Lakkar. And if you're from Hawaii, you already know that the Pali Lakkar is hunted. Don't go there at night. You know, you, you just already know, let alone sleep, sleepover. So to kind of fast forward the story, we had a camp out there. Everybody was kind of like, I would say, like a hundred a football field away from the actual lookout, if not a football field and a half away from the actual a- actual lookout, you know, in a parking lot, with, you know, RVs or vans or whatever you were sleeping with at the time. And, you know, families was there and, and stuff like that. So uh, two of my friends and I ended up wanting to go exploring at about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. We ended up just telling our parents we're just going to go to there. We're not going to go too far. And they ended up letting us go. So we ended up going down to the lookout. And one of my friends was all like, oh, let's go down the old Pully Road. And it's super dark. There's no street nights. Basically in the mountains at this point at 11 o'clock at night. So we're on our way down the Pully Road. And all of a sudden, my friend just freezes. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, yo, what, what is he? See, he's probably like five feet in front of me. And he freezes overlooking the cliff. And it's probably, I would say, like 20 yards, if not 30 yards, before it actually drops off. And there's a guardrail and things like that, too. So I'm looking at him, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, yo, what are you looking at? Tim, I walk up to him, and he just pointing his finger. And he's just, like, frozen solid. He can't move. So I'm, I'm looking. I don't see anything. It's just pitch black. Then my eyes sort of jet. My eyes kind of adjusted already, but it's starting to adjust into this new scenery I was looking at. You know, you have some trees, mostly just trees. And then you can tell when it drops off. You can see the bottom. So I'm looking at what he's looking at. I'm like, what are you seeing? And he's like, it's right there. Look at, look right there. So I kind of look into trying to figure it out. And it took me a while, but then I see a black shadow. I would say not to exaggerate, maybe anywhere from 12 to 15 feet high, maybe seven to 10 feet wide. And it was just a black shadow. But the good thing about it was this black shadow was covering some trees, but blending into other trees. And all of a sudden, as we're looking at the shadow, you just see the whole thing move and I kind of work its way down the mountain. It was really chilled. It really gave me the goosebumps. I really freaked out. So we started running back and, you know, we couldn't sleep that night. We talked about it in the morning and wanted to make sure that we seen it. And there was a kahuna that we ended up talking to. A kahuna is just an elder, elderly person in Hawaii. We call him a kahuna out of respect. They have a lot of life experience and stuff like that. So, you know, we ended up talking to one of him and we told him what we saw. And he actually had something different to say. He said that he heard screaming all night, like people was falling off a cliff. So I just wanted to call in and kind of tell you that, that that's kind of like my experience with the, 
with this whole paranormal world and, and stuff like that. I just want to thank you uh, for having this show to give people like me to call in and give us a chance to tell our stories. And I wanted to give a shout out to my man, Jay, that ended up recommending this show. Thank you so much. I'm about to binge it. All right. Thanks, Sean. You guys are killing me with these Hawaiian submissions. You're making me want to go there worse than before, and I obviously won't be going anytime soon. I do have a theory for you, Sean, and although it does nothing to solve the mystery of the Shadow Giant, it might explain the screams that the Kahuna heard. Is it possible that he heard the screams of two young boys, whom had recently stumbled upon a 15-foot shadow monster in the woods? Otherwise, I'm out of ideas although I love hearing about the folklore of lands a far cry away from the hills and hollers of my home state of Ohio. And I'll tell you what, Hawaii, I'm going to get there one of these days. Thanks again, Sean, for sharing. Now, if you're one of those heroes that has purchased merchandise to show your MIU pride and help keep the show growing, thank you so much. Your purchase has allowed us to invest in several new products, almost all set to debut by the end of this season. So get your shopping fingers ready, as we have some amazing designs ready to be unveiled in just a few short weeks. Now speaking of it being the end of the season, as usual I'll be taking the next week off to prepare for the next installment of Hometown Legends. So keep that in mind next Thursday. Now our next call covers a subject I thought we'd never breach on this program. But thanks to Jack in Oklahoma, here we are. Hey Derek, my name is Jack. I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I had a pretty interesting experience when I was a freshman in college. So I'm, I'm from Oklahoma, but I ran cross country all throughout high school, and I got an offer to a little tiny school in Fulton, Missouri, Westminster College. So I decided I kind of break away from the typical, you know, everybody goes to the big schools, the OU, OSU, stuff like that. I decided I wanted to break away from the typical and kind of head out there and kind of pave my own path, so to speak. Uh, so anyway, going to school there. Oh, this had to have been late fall, probably around October, November-ish, kind of close to the end of the semester. And as, you know, as a freshman in college, you know, having a full high school schedule, I uh, got to take a lot of naps. Uh, my roommate, he was from Jefferson City, Missouri, which is about 20 minutes away from Colton, so he would go home a lot and kind of leave me in peace, I guess you could say. So anyways, I, I was taking a nap one day, and this is kind of important. My grandfather at the time, he was going through a lot of health issues, and he was kind of nearing the end, but there wasn't anything too major that I had known about and you know my parents wanted to keep me you know being out of state away my first year of college they kind of wanted to keep me relatively out of the loop so I can kind of focus on my studies and all my running and all the stuff that I was doing so one day like I said late late fall I came back from class it was mid-afternoon it was kind of a sunny cool day and I didn't have to go to practice for another couple of hours so I decided oh I might as well get a nap in while my roommate went home it had to have been a weekend because he went home to Jefferson City so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and take a quick nap before I have to go to practice. So I kind of doze off, and it's just kind of a normal nap. And something kind of woke me up. And it was one of those experiences where you wake up, but you're not really sure, you know, you're aware, but you're not really 100% sure if you're completely awake or if you're dreaming. So anyways, I kind of 
closed up a little bit, I guess you could say, and my bed was up against the wall, and the way that the dorm was laid out, it, it was like a suite, and there's four different rooms and two guys per room, and my bed was up against the wall where that faced the hallway that was let out into the other room. So I kind of wake up, and I felt like I was out for hours, and it probably wasn't really that long, and I just hear all this ruckus coming from the hallway, and you know, a lot of footsteps and banging and stuff like, like somebody's like moving through. And at first I just thought, oh, it's these noisy kids that, you know, live in these other rooms next to me and, you know, I'm just trying to get a nap and they're being all loud and stuff. Getting a little angry at it, but I mean, you know, it just, you know, it happens. But the next thing I know is that it just completely stops. And I was like, well, that's weird. Maybe they know that I'm here or something. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. And then the next thing I hear is like, it's like two big old fists banging the side of the wall on the other side of the bed kind of in the hallway and it freaked me out i was like what the heck is going on it's just constant banging thing like somebody was trying to get into the room but like punch a hole through the wall right above my bed and it's that moment that i realized like i am frozen in place like i cannot move i can't scream or anything like i don't know what's going on and it just kept getting louder and louder and louder and then on top of that, after that had gone on, it felt like forever, but it was probably only like 20 seconds or so. It just kept going and going. And the next thing I hear, I hear this blood curdling scream. Like screaming behind the thing, like, ooh, 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 ah, like as loud as somebody can do it. And it freaked me out. And after that whole experience, I finally snapped out. And I noticed that it was sort of a dream, but it was one of those dreams where you kind of dream of the exact location and setting that you're in. And I came flying out of my out of the bed, out of my room, like, what the heck is going on? Is somebody hurt? And I flew, like, flew the door open, and nobody was there. Everybody had, most of those kids who lived in that suite lived pretty close to, and nobody was there. Everybody had gone home. It was just me in the suite. So I kind of chalked it up as like a, it's a dream or something. I, I don't know what's going on. So anyways, a couple days later, my mom called me, and she said, hey, is there any way you can get somebody to drive you to St. Louis? and fly back to Tulsa because your grandpa is really not doing well and then the doctor has said that this is his final moment here on earth and it just that when I heard that news I mean it sent chills down my back for, for many reasons but especially it reminded me of this experience that happened a couple days ago because uh, one thing that's pretty important to note is my family is extremely Irish um, you can trace they love to do that ancestry stuff and you can trace them back you know they came back from Ireland on the boat, they have we have papers of when they came in through Ellis Island. So they're very superstitious. And I told my mom about the experience I had, and she goes, "You know exactly what that is. That's a banshee. A banshee came and visited you to tell you that your grandpa was was passing." And, and you know, just even telling you the story right now, it sends chills because I've never experienced anything so vivid like that before. And yeah, it was a pretty scary experience, I will have to say, but it's pretty interesting. Love the podcast and just listening to it nonstop, especially on my long car ride. Keep doing a good one. Thanks, Jack, for the entry. Before I dive into Jack's story, I need to make a quick request. I know beggars shouldn't be choosers, but can we not submit calls for moving cars anymore? I have a folder full of good stories that can't be played because of heavy road or tire traffic noise. Jax fell into that category, but I was able to doctor it up and sneak it through. Now, I certainly appreciate the entries, but let's submit from a quiet place to make my life a little easier. 
Alright, taking off my dad hat and putting on my skeptical hat. I have to be upfront. To me, Jack's experience sounds like textbook sleep paralysis. Wild hallucinations, the inability to move, and a strange sleep pattern. But I do find it curious that the rest of the story seems to develop into an instant, legendary story. A story to be passed down through the family for years. But for what it's worth, there are legends from the United States about banshees. There are tales from the badlands of the Dakotas of a banshee-like entity said to roam the vast and treacherous terrain. Folks up that way call her the Banshee of the Badlands. So if they're seeing slash hearing a Banshee there, I suppose Missouri is certainly a possibility. Thanks again, Jack, for taking the time. Our next entry of the evening takes place in one of my old stomping grounds. Please join me in welcoming Gabby from California to the show. Hi, Derek. My name is Gabby, and I'm calling from Whittier, California. I'm calling with a story that happened a few years ago, actually, when I was about 14 or 15. It was when I was living in an apartment complex in Culver City at the time with my older sister and uh, my niece, her daughter. So at the time, it was just us three, and nothing really too odd had happened before in that apartment that I can remember. Our neighbors, though, when we would run into them, it was this really nice kind of like elderly couple, and they'd always try and kind of like spook us, tell us that the place was haunted, that kind of stuff. And on this particular night, I remember it was the middle of the day, around 6 p.m., 7 p.m., I know it was dark outside, but it wasn't raining, it wasn't bad weather, anything like that. So on this day, me and my sister were in the back of the apartment, kind of like in the bedroom, um, cleaning up. And my niece was in the living room by herself, kind of just sitting on the sofa. We didn't have a TV at the time, so she was just watching Netflix on my sister's laptop. She was just sitting there on the sofa, we were in the back, and all of a sudden... We just heard her screaming, and we both ran out. Uh, We just dropped what we were doing, and we ran out. We went to go see what was wrong because we automatically assumed somebody had tried to or was trying to break in, you know, because in the past somebody had tried to, like, burglarize my sister's car in the parking lot. But we were afraid that it was a repeated incident, and they were trying to break into the house this time. But instead, my niece was pointing at the kitchen, And we looked towards the kitchen, and all the cupboards were just flung open completely, even the ones that were really, really high up, because initially, of course, my sister and I accused her and thought that she had done it, and we were like, you know, why did you do this? Why did you do this? But she was very, like, insistent that she did not do it, and she couldn't, she literally could not even reach some of the cupboard doors because she was just a small child, and she was very small. So that definitely kind of shook us up a bit, but speculated, obviously. But at the end of the day, we've never really been able to confirm whether or not, like, we think it was a haunting. Nothing else like that really happened. I mean, nothing as serious as that anyway. 
there was one instance where we did go out to Target and the blender, which had been unplugged and turned off on the counter when we returned from Target, was plugged in and just like on the highest setting. So that was another incident that occurred in that apartment. But those were the only two things that I can really remember. And that's why I honestly didn't really think it was haunted. But I guess, I don't know. Uh, I just haven't been able to find an explanation for it. I mean, the cupboard thing, maybe it was like a regional earthquake and all of them opened up or something. But the blender thing, definitely. I mean, all of us would kind of hear if a blender was on when we were walking out the door as we were leaving for the day. So I will just throw that out there for everybody's consideration, maybe figure out what happened. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Uh, I love your podcast. And thank you. Thank you, Gabby. I spent 10 years in Los Angeles, and all of them a stone's throw away from Culver City. I love that area. Especially the area around the Culver Hotel. Now, a fun fact about... Now, a fun fact about that hotel. During the production of 1932's The Wizard of Oz, the studio put the 120 actors that portrayed the Munchkins in that hotel. And if the rumors are true, they were anything but well-behaved. Fights, booze, drugs, and drunken hijinks were said to go on into the morning hours on a nightly basis. They even made a film loosely based on that wild story, 1981's Under the Rainbow. Now another rumor I've heard of the structure is that Charlie Chaplin lost the hotel to John Wayne in a hand of poker. Now, I doubt those stories help Gabby in any way. But I will say this, which might or might not leave her feeling assured. There was another film that was set in Culver City. A film that's supposedly based on another true story. 1982's The Entity. Thanks again, Gabby, for sharing the entry. Now, last week, I completely forgot to mention this after Moose's Wyoming Bigfoot entry. Moose, if you're listening, please find a way to send me a photo of that drawing. Hopefully, you can get someone to help you email me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of dot-coms, be sure to check out our social media. Josh, Sarah, John, Tony, Warren, and Addie have created a safe and fun environment to share tales, videos, and talk spooky. A big thanks to that gang for all their hard work. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's Last Call. And not only is it Last Call, but it's also the last call of the regular part of Season 9. For all those that are counting, wink, And tonight, we're headed to Washington, where Nathan has a tale he would like to tell. Hey Derek, I'm Nate from Washington State. I love the show, so I thought I'd send in a couple stories for you to share on the podcast. My first story takes place back when I was in middle school, maybe 2004, 2005. It was summertime, so I had an ample time to watch TV or play with friends. And during that summer, I had watched a Bigfoot documentary that really interested me. I can't remember which documentary it was, though. Anyways, after watching it, 
I had brought the subject of Bigfoot up to my mom and stepdad. My stepdad had told me that he had an experience with Bigfoot up in northeast Washington in the Colville area, specifically the Spruce Canyon area. He had worked up there years ago, and one weekend he was fishing on a secluded lake, and it started getting dark, and all of a sudden an ape-like womanish scream started happening all around him, and then rocks started to be thrown at him. Needless to say, he was spooked. He took his boat back to the dock, left his boat and all his fishing gear, and drove off, and he went and picked it up a couple days later. So being the middle school-aged boy that I was, I wanted to go up there too and check it out. He's like, sure, I'll take you up there uh, for a camping trip. So I brought my buddy from school, my stepsister, my dad's friend, and actually three of my nephews. We drive up there, we set up camp, uh, we fish and play, and on the second night around 10 p.m., we were sitting by the fire, and all of a sudden that, that ape-like woman-sounding scream started all around our camp. Uh, it went on for about 30 seconds, then it transitioned into wood knocks, one after another. One wood knock, and then another wood knock would happen, and then another wood knock would happen, and that happened for about 30 seconds or so, and then it ended. Nothing else happened during that trip, but it was pretty crazy. A couple explanations that people have given me as to what I heard. One was coyotes, uh, elk bugling, or a cougar screaming. None of those could account for the wood knocks that I heard right after. And I know what coyotes and elk bugling and cougar screaming sounds like, and it didn't sound anything like that. It was apish in the way it sounded. And could it be somebody uh, playing a trick or a prank on us? I mean, possibly, but the place we were at was incredibly secluded. I mean, there's no running water. There's no electricity. You have to take a small winding DNR road for about five miles even to get up there. It takes a long time. There's no showers. There's nothing like that. And at 10 o'clock p.m., it just didn't make any sense for somebody to be playing a prank on us up there. Um, obviously, I can't rule it out 100%, but it seems like a big waste of time <laughs> for somebody to do that. But anyway, that's my story. Uh, thanks for the podcast. Bye. I appreciate it, Nathan. Now, just the other day, I carved out a little time to watch Missing 411, The Hunted, on Amazon Prime. And there's a segment in that documentary that talks about the Sierra sounds. Now, I know I've mentioned them in the past, but here's a crash course. A group of hunters have been using a remote hunting camp since the mid-1950s. And at night there, strange sounds are reported. Well, one of those hunters, Ron Moorhead, was wise enough to lug a reel-to-reel audio recorder. This was the 1970s, after all. Eight miles into the wilderness to capture the recordings we now know as the Sierra Sounds. Well, as I was watching, listening to the clips they selected, the idea came into my head that I should clean up that audio. Now, I'm not schooled in sound restoration or anything like that but I've become pretty good at it over the years. For the last season or two, all calls played go through a rigorous process of adjustments and edits to make the story sound as clear and concise as possible. So I figured if I can do that there, then I can certainly apply that process to these extremely interesting sounds. Now, as you listen to the following clip, keep in mind that the original tape was analyzed and experts claim that there was no trickery. Nothing like that was detected. What you hear on the tape was indeed in proximity to Moorhead's microphone when the recording was made. This is what I managed to pull from the original clip. 
Of course, I only selected the best portions of the recording to clean up. Sort of the best of Bigfoot, if you will. Now, whatever these things are, they're likely not human. A majority of these vocalizations are out of the human range, and a 2008 claim suggests that the sounds contain a complex language. Now, if it's out of the human range yet has developed language, there aren't a lot of options left. So thank you again, Nathan, for taking the time to share your story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that creepy background music. Let's co.ag music. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. folks the bonus call of this episode the following was submitted anonymously from parts unknown when i was 12 years old my best friend and i were into a lot of vampire chronic like vampire books and a lot of like folklore and and other paranormal stuff Um, around the summertime we would always walk outside from my house to her house we also lived on the same block so if you walk outside so imagine this like if you walk outside her house and walk two houses down to the stop sign and then you take a left then another two houses down that was my house i hope that makes sense anyway we lived in a relatively safe neighborhood and nothing really ever happened i think the one thing that made headlines in our small town was that a girl went missing but really she ran away from home it was a small town in minnesota and one night on a full moon, my best friend said to me as we were walking to my house from her house, that if you look at the whole, at a full moon, that a werewolf will come out and get you. And I thought it was a joke and I was just rolling my eyes and you no know, teasing her. 
So I started to look at the full moon and she's like telling me to stop that it's not funny. And so I look at the full moon and, you know, she shoves me and then, you know, we're just laughing it off. But out of nowhere, I hear like these footsteps pacing really fast behind us and we look behind us and what's really interesting is that I call this a shadow figure, but you can clearly hear its footsteps just hitting against the concrete, pacing really fast towards us. And what surprised us was A, obviously that this was a weird shadow figure chasing after us. We couldn't make out the face or what it was wearing. But when you walk outside in this neighborhood, it's relatively an open space. It's not like it's hard to see all the houses from your from your vision, your peripheral vision. And so we would have noticed a person outside. We always did. And so for this thing to come out from out of nowhere was really scary. And so, of course, it started chasing after us. We just knew to book it. We just knew that whatever this thing was, we had to run from it. So we started running. And I make it. we make it to our house. And in front of my house was like a glass porch. So we get inside. I lock the glass door behind me. I'm trying to find the keys to unlock my house door and I'm so shooken up. I'm staring right at this thing and again, I'm literally trying to study it. Could not make out its face, anything, nothing about it. And I'm already getting shooken up talking about it, but it runs across uh, my front yard and runs directly across the street to my to my neighbor's house. So the neighbor that lives directly across the street from me. And it just stops and stares at us. And it decides to pick, like, this, like, decides to pick to stand next to the tree, giving it more shadow. And you really couldn't see it from this point. It almost looked like it was vanishing. But we knew that it was staring right at us. And years and years passed by this moment. And I remembered, I remember this memory. And I, was, I'm now 29 years old, and so I sent my best friend a text about it, and she just nonchalantly said, yeah, I remember that, and I could tell that she didn't want to have a conversation about it, and I don't blame her. That That's really scary. I, I almost for, I really forgot about it. I thought this was made up, so that's why I texted her and asked her about it, and all she said was, yeah, I remember that. Well, I was just telling my husband about this story, and the lights went out, and I don't know what what's up with this but I felt like I had to share this with you maybe it was a person maybe it was it had something to do with folklore we were children don't know I don't know I don't know anything about it but hopefully someone else can share a story that's similar to mine and give me light to what this what this is thank you caller it sort of sounds like the girls conjured something not that I believe in such a thing and the mention of the power going out when telling the story. In theory, if something was conjured, and you bring it back up, maybe it's not too happy about that. Or perhaps that's its way of showing that it's still around. Thanks again for sharing, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.